Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. They might talk about human music, film, books, football, and box sets, exercise, and maybe even food. Trivia and sports, politics and health, sometimes well-being too. On the life with Brian. On the life with Brian. Hello to listeners old and new. Welcome to Life with Brian with me, Mark, Matthew, and obviously Brian McClare. How are you both? Uh, have you been up to anything exciting? Hello, Matthew. Hello, Mark. Yeah, we uh, we had the joys of uh, visiting Blackpool the other day, didn't we, Brian? Um, we did very much so, yeah. We had uh, a sportsman's evening in the Winter Gardens. I think that's, uh, I've now achieved everything that I used to dream of when I was wandering to school. Uh, you know, particularly when I was when we came back out and passing the statue of of Morecambe and Wise, you know, so that was one of the things that, along with playing football, that uh, I always wanted to do. Um, well, we've got a bit of a special episode um, this week because we want you to cast your mind back 31 years to before the Premier League revolution, even, and to the 20th of October 1990, and a first division clash between Manchester United and Arsenal at Old Trafford. United were the FA Cup holders and would finish the season winning the European Cup Winners' Cup, while George Graham's Gunners would finish the campaign picking up their second league title in three seasons, losing just once, largely due to their formidable back four and David Seaman in goal, conceding only 18 league goals throughout. On duty at left-back for Arsenal that day, as he was for more than a decade, was Nigel Winterburn, who, I'm pleased to say, is our special guest today. Nigel, how are you? Thanks very much for coming on. I'm uh, very well, thank you. Thank you for, as I just said earlier, for inviting me on. Uh, it's great to uh, look back over uh, some of the battles, uh, if you like, between Manchester United uh, and Arsenal. And uh, it would be great as well to hear what Brian has to say about the things. But uh, as I was just saying to you, as I, I just absolutely lived for those games because they were so intense. They, for me, they were what football was all about. What I discovered, Nigel, is that um, we, apart from uh, the normal things like sleep, sleeping and breathing and eating, that we've got a hell of a lot in common. Far right? away. Far well, away. You were born on the 11th of December, 1963. That is true. Three days after me. Ah, oh, there you go, see. So we're almost astrological twins. <laughs> Uh, Is that why we clashed? <laughs> for my same kind of personality. Eh? We uh, both, when we were younger players and before we made, uh, before we became um, sort of associated with a particular position, we both played midfield. True. Yes. You you were at Birmingham City and didn't make an appearance. I was at Aston Villa and didn't make an appearance. This is getting a bit spooky. You've got two FA Cup winners medals, so have I. You've got a Cup winners Cup medal, so have I. 
both of us have been sacked by Blackburn. <laughs> we both had the, um, uh, the wonderful memory of meeting uh, a certain Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. We've got the same favourite dinosaur, the pterodactyl. <laughs> and we were both released by Ron Saunders. We we have a lot in common there. That's there you a, go. <laughs> that's too much homework. No. It's very spooky. Yeah. Do you remember what Ron Saunders said to you? You know, you because well, Jim Smith had given you a two-year contract, didn't you? In Birmingham, I think Birmingham was the team you supported as a as a kid. Well, so. as, as a kid, I was actually um, a Leeds United oh, supporter. Fan, right? But obviously, being from the, uh, I was from the Midlands, but I just Warwick, think. Sure, yeah. I just sort of latched Leeds were uh, successful at team. I don't know why I didn't pick, you know, Coventry, Villa, Birmingham, but I, you know, Leeds was my team. Uh, but yeah, I remember that very well because when once I joined um, Birmingham under Jim Smith, first season, well, I call it apprenticeship. Then I did I did very very well. Uh, got a, a pro uh, contract at the end of that first season. And then it was all looking good. Jim Smith was still in uh, in charge at the start of the second season. And then Mark Dennis uh, and Pat van der Howe were injured. Uh, and Jim called me in and uh, I was going to be playing, making my debut. I think it was Brighton away. Uh, so I did everything, all the team tactics on the uh, Friday. And then on the Saturday morning, he called me at the hotel and just, thought, just said to me, look, I've had a little think. I'm going to play Archie Gemmell at left back. It's maybe just a little bit too inexperienced at this at this moment in time. Uh, from there, from there on, it all went downhill. He got sacked. Ron Saunders came in. He brought uh, a young lad in uh, with him. From came in. I think it was from Manchester City. I can't actually remember uh, his name now. But he, he he basically just got what was the reserve team into a room and just said. Uh, at the end of the season, you'll all you'll all be gone. <laughs> that was pretty. That was pretty much it. You're not good enough. I've brought someone in who I want to, you know, who I think is the standard of the club. Um, I, I just really was saying he's better than you are. Um, but um, it, that was it. It was that was the end of conversation. And uh, once that se- once that season finished, obviously I was released with I think there must have been twelve or thirteen players released. And then I I called I called Jim Smith back up, who was then at Oxford, and just asked if I could go pre-season training uh, with them for the following season. And that's really where it started with with then uh, Wimbledon coming in for me to do uh, a month's trial with them. So for, really, that's where it all sort of started to progress very very quickly for me with with Wimbledon Wimbledon coming in and then getting my opportunity with them. I was going to say Ron Ron Saunders is seen as a bit of a dour character these days and he was at the time as well I mean you both played under him I mean was it is that is it was it a case of what you saw is what you got with uh, Ron or was he did he have well a- I, to, be, to be quite honest with you I didn't know him that well I didn't have a lot because uh, obviously I was still in the reserves then which he you know he came in as uh, as manager so I didn't have a lot of time with him I didn't you know I, I, I don't remember a great deal just just that basically that meeting where it was looks like you're out of here, and at the end of the season, that that's it. We're not we're not we're not going to offer you any other contract. So I don't really know him uh, as a as a as a person really to make that that judgment on. But obviously, it hits hard 
on you very, very quickly when you think you are going to establish yourself at a club uh, and have a chance of coming through and breaking through into the first team. And then all of a sudden from, uh, well, almost six months later on, you're being told you're not good enough. What about you, Brian? How did you, uh, how did you? Well, I mean, he was, he was a first team coach, first team manager and he was, he was very successful, the successful team that, that won the league the, the season. And I was there. I, I didn't have many interactions with him. Um, so that the, the, the the memories that just popped back into my my consciousness now were that he we he always wore um, Puma King boots, which looked fantastic, all clean and with the white tongues at the time, uh, and um, the overpowering smell of his aftershave, which was uh, which was Aramis, that's what he original Aramis he used to wear. And uh, unlike you, at least I got a private audience, Nigel, because um, I got called in. I had been assigned for Villa in was it summer eighty eighty, and then went back for pre season in the in the summer of eighty one, and I did most of pre season, and I got called into his office, and um, he just um, basically the end of the conversation was the, the you. you uh, but clearly didn't fancy me. I know that the, the, the one of the, the mentioned before, one of the earliest lessons I learned about football was about opinions and the opinion of the coach or the youth team coach at the time. He just he didn't he didn't fancy me, which is uh, and a lesson you that's very much taken on board. But he finished off the kind of short brief conversation we had. It's just me in there as a 16, 17 year old on my own, uh, and they just told me to I could fuck off back to Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I did. I got a train that afternoon. <laughs> I will circulate your name with other clubs. For I you. don't even know who said that. You know, I like, <laughs> may have said that. I don't think he said that. You know, that's my over. That's my, my memory of it. You know. So, and one of the things they asked you about it because it, it, I think you were nineteen when you made your debut for Wimbledon in the, which I think was in the third division. And so, yeah. in that period of time, in that day, must have been difficult. difficult when he, he told all of you that you were leaving and then started to fulfil your training and your fixtures and all that and wonder what was going on. So I didn't really have a... I didn't have that. I just called in and told I was going. So Yeah, it was... Just, to be fair, it was pretty much towards the end of, uh, of, of the oh, season. Yeah, yeah. From what I can, can yeah. remember, it was all... It's a, it's a little bit of a blur to me because it, it was something I wasn't even expecting. You know, it's not as if, you know, you... You know, things have not been going well. You, you're obviously different manager, but you'd been called up into the first team at such a, a young age. And you're thinking, obviously, I must be doing something right. You've got to be progressing somewhere. And then, as you say, different manager comes in. I had had a couple of injuries as well uh, along that period. And then it was just like, no, oh, you're not wanted anymore. You don't like exactly what you say. You just, you're not the type of player that uh, I think, you know, he's going to, he's going to develop uh, at the club and, uh, sort of, as you say, on your merry way, and go and go and look after yourself, and go and find something else. Which, uh, you know, was was disappointed at the time, but maybe uh, in hindsight, when you look back, was you know was a was a blessing in disguise because you know I was living at home still then, but then it, it you know it forced me to go out and do uh, you know and search for another club, and then go to Wimbledon, you know, sort of living living in digs at times. So it was a it was a completely different lifestyle to what I was used to 
um, uh, uh, as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, looking back, uh, let's say um, I'm pleased it was happened, but it was it, it yeah. was a bit of a it was a bit of a shock at the time. I just wanted to say, you, Brian caught us on the hop there because I wanted to talk about this, um, you know, the United rivalry, uh, Arsenal rivalry, but Brian threw a spanner in the works there by mentioning that you met Nelson Mandela as well. Is that, can you just tell us briefly how, what that was about? Well, we'd gone over to uh, South Africa um, uh, and I believe he'd just been released and we were, we, we were playing a game over there and he, he was basically like the honorary member who had, had, had come in. And uh, before the game, we uh, we lined up on the pitch, and uh, out came uh, Nelson Mandela, and it was just like, oh my God, it's Nelson Mandela! You know, he came along the line, sh- shaking uh, everybody's hand. But uh, yeah, I still got that. Um, actually, not that long ago, I put that picture up on on Facebook, uh, which I don't do. I'm not very active on social media, but I put that up because, and I've got that photograph at home f- frame because it was such a such a special occasion, but uh, such an iconic man uh, uh, to meet that uh, yeah it was uh, it was it was just incredible. Yeah, I know it's a, something you cherish as well, Brian, isn't it? Meeting. Yeah, but just you know, just to mention a quick thing about your social media because is there is there still somebody pretending to be you? Uh, on I, social media? I, think, I think there's a lot of people. <laughs> no, I know was, my I know my was... daughter reported someone uh, about a year ago that uh, that uh, they got blocked for a while. But do you know what, Brian? I have no idea. <laughs> Like no, that, and if if yeah. there's stuff going out there no no i'm not i'm not saying there were any comments because there was a, <laughs> this is the thing that made me laugh there was a suggestion there was someone in a period of time ago that uh, was pretending to be you but they were they were on twitter i think it was and they were writing in glaswegian slang <laughs> and i would just like to say that it wasn't definitely wasn't was, me that was doing this right <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to say you. In case there's a pop to you there, they might have thought, wonder if that could be possibility of that, you know. (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, you know, my daughter's told me before that there has been someone, but I, you know, what I. I wouldn't know how to stop them. I wouldn't know no, whether no, they, not, they are not. or not. In, in a way, I just let them get on of, with it. <laughs> in a way, it's again, it's just part of the the being successful, you know. So the fact you you're being successful is that, that people want to to, you, Im- to try imitation. And, imitation try. is flattery, is it? Like that, yeah. And it was it was the same summer because we were out there at the same time. We, the mm. first game we played, uh, we played Arsenal, and it was a seventy thousand dollars. Sell out, mm. played at um, uh, Ellis Park in Johannesburg, to um, and it was I think the end of the game ended up nil nil. But um, yeah, it was wonderful to he was the only person that I, very very few people I've ever wanted to meet. You know, so mm. to meet him was was a, was a very very special time. Um, and th- that trip uh, was another one of those trips. Like uh, there was lots and lots of things happened. You know, there was. Um, because we were um, staying in the same kind of places as the Arsenal players, so there was a there was a few uh, incidents regarding uh, after a, after a couple of nights out, you know. So I believe that uh, one of your colleagues, uh, Nigel, um, uh, after a few um, laggers, uh, woke up in a skip. 
You've got, you got a better story on oh, my I'll team than I have. Did you know why, though, Nigel? Because it started, that's when I started writing the diary in the Manchester United magazine. So I started paying attention to a lot more stuff that was going on, you know? <laughs> so there's some, of my, some of my colleagues were there around about the same time. Whatever night I wasn't party to that. I wasn't part of that night out, but I know uh, um, that uh, I think, actually, I think Michael Phelan, my United's assistant manager, might have been involved in. And uh, hasn't been there without being uh, without being in the same uh, rubbish bin, you know. But uh, yeah, that, from what I can gather, there was lots of events happened there, you know. So either Nigel wasn't involved, or he's doing a very good job. Oh, Nigel wasn't involved. No, I, wasn't, no, wasn't, I wasn't involved. No, wasn't. I, I only get involved on the football pitch. No, he wasn't involved. Um, in this, no. Uh, no, it, no, it's it's not me. I, uh, I'm not big enough, and I'm not strong enough to get involved got, that side. Got, yeah, but he did get he did get sent home from Singapore, though. I did indeed. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the, yeah, the, the story behind that is not actually as it <laughs> as it seems because actually we got sent home because we played uh, we played Norwich uh, on the last game of the season. And uh, we travelled up to Norwich and the, the night before. And what happened was, is all the lads, as they do, were just sitting down after dinner. And we were just sort of talking about what was happening, you know, where we, you know, where we were finished. And then um, we said, shall we? Should we go for a walk? And we went for a walk. And as we started to go on this walk, we came sort of round onto this brow of this hill and we saw this, well, I suppose it class it as like a, it was like a tennis club. Um, so uh, we all walked down around to, to the tennis club and then we sat down and then the guy came out and he said, can I get you something? And like the whole squad was there. I think there was, there was about 13 of us there at the time. And uh, we all looked at each other and said, shall we have a beer? <laughs> it's the last game of the season. <laughs> we can't finish anywhere else. So we all had a beer and then uh, there was four of us left. Not everybody else started to disappear. We were just sitting there and then all of a sudden George Graham came round the corner. And it was like, well, what should we do? Should we get up and walk off or should we just sit there? So we just sat there and he just calmly came over and said, enjoy yourselves, lads. And we were like, yes, thank you. And not only went, just finish your drinks uh, and then go. So we played Norwich, we drew with Norwich. Uh, and then we flew out to Singapore the next day. And Gary Lewin, the physio, said, he's fuming. I don't know what he's going to do, but he's literally got, He's got something uh, planned for you. So we went away. We flew to Singapore. We played in a, uh, a game over there, a friendly game. Uh, and then after that, we were due to go on a seven-day break, fly on to somewhere else for a seven-day break. And then he just sent uh, Ken Fryer down the morning after the game, called the four of us down and just said, there you go, there's your tickets uh, back home. Um, so we got sent back home and got fined two weeks wages and I don't know to this day I'm sure he must know now George Graham but we were all there but the other <laughs> lads didn't want to put their hands up <laughs> and admit that they were all there as well and put him under a bit of pressure but so I did get sent home I can't deny that but I uh, I wasn't on my own there was uh, there was uh, four of us got got caught but there was uh, there was thirteen of us there, uh, and they they didn't have the courage to put their hands up. So it shows you what uh, some teammates are like at times. <laughs> I think I'm sure you've never done in the past, Brian, is to get sent home from a preseason tour for any misdemeanors, or, uh, or were you oh. you were too you were too lucky, weren't you? you? You used to get away with things like that. 
Well, it just depends, isn't it? You know, yeah, there was a, there was a few nights out in South Africa. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah there, every, wasn't it every night? It might have been, I don't know. Been, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which to get to get away with that with um, with Alex Ferguson and George Graham was quite remarkable. Really, I think you know? with with George that trip was the first time uh, that we he like ever let anybody drink uh, through that through that period when he was when he was when he was with them. It was just it was just it was just lads didn't know what to do. They just all went wild. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know whether George and and. Alec Ferguson were out enjoying themselves somewhere else, you know, because there was a uh, there was casino into it was a casino place we were staying at, you know. So yeah, maybe, I think maybe they were maybe it was it was maybe that was what it was. They were uh, enjoying themselves somewhere else. Yeah, you know? I'm, I'm I'm sure they would be. Uh, so <laughs> it was a good preseason trip for Martin, you know, and his teammate Nelson Mandela was incredible. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that was the, that was the highlight by far. Definitely better than finding someone in a skip. That's for sure. Mm. Well, believe it or not, we actually do some preparation on this podcast, which ends up going out the window, usually. Uh, And although it uh, says here we should start at October the 20th, 1990, um, that United-Arsenal rivalry, which grew in intensity through the 90s and into the 2000s, probably began simmering even earlier than that famous incident, um, which we'll get to shortly, uh, and certainly before either of you two had joined your respective clubs. It was a game we mentioned in our chat with Viv Anderson from January 87, Matthew, when Norman Whiteside and David Rocastle in particular were heavily involved in a very meaty encounter. Yeah, I think this is the game that we can say truly started this rivalry between United and Arsenal that obviously went on for many years. Um, it was 86-87 uh, season. Arsenal were on a run of, was it 15 or 20 games unbeaten or something like that? And they came to Old Trafford uh, flying high under George Graham. And um, we United beat them, but I mean, the game will be remembered more for the, the, the physical side of it. Um, I think we've, we've shown some YouTube clips in the past of the, of the game. And we spoke to Viv Anderson about it a couple of weeks ago. And I mean, it really was brutal. And in terms of the modern the modern game, you, you look at some of those tackles that went in and, uh, and they just wouldn't be tolerated today. I mean, uh, David Rocastle was sent off, but I think easily three or four players could have been sent off and probably should have been sent off. So uh, I know you weren't playing that game, Brian, but you uh, you've obviously back at the footage and you uh it was a precursor of what was to come a couple of years later i think yeah well did we remember speaking to viv about it um because viv came to manchester united the same summer that i came uh and also the the um the united players uh, also because they say that it was the start of of um arsenal's uh, run to success that nigel was a big big part of and then uh, through to the um, rivalry between the two two best English teams for a long period of time, being Arsenal and Manchester United. There was a famous FA Cup game at a packed Highbury in uh, 1988, uh, both of your first seasons at United and Arsenal, respectively. Um, Gunners were 2 1 up with almost time up, and United were awarded a penalty in front of a packed um, North Bank. I just wonder what you both remember about what happened next. Has scored three, four times from the spot this season. McLaren versus Lukic. And so much resting on this next kick of a pulsating puncture. Oh, he's missed it! 
this opportunity for United is celebrated there on the north bank and Winterburn is getting involved with McClare and a kick that is since soaring over the Arsenal crossbar and perhaps the last chance for United has gone for Brian McClare. Well, I, I, I can quite clearly remember Brian missing. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I'll tell you why, because I actually was doing the uh, West Ham and uh, Manchester United game uh, the other week. And one of the producers there said, oh, I was at the game doing some uh, filming at that stage. And he actually showed me the clip. Uh, and he actually showed me the penalty and then me walking past Brian uh, and sort of whispering something in his ear. I mean, it wasn't that it wasn't that long or or. Dramatic. I mean, I've said on many, many uh, occasions, really, for, for me, it was unprofessional of what I did, but I just got caught up in the moment. Uh, and, and, you know, a couple of times uh, in Man United games, and uh, probably that one really was, was obviously, uh, was, was the, the start of it for me. But then, then I had the Paolo Di Canio you know, incident. But, I mean, apart from that, I was, uh, yeah, I was... I was a pretty good boy for for the amount of games that I uh, that, that I played, but I don't. I actually cannot give you a genuine. I think I just was wrapped up in the old uh, of the occasion. I didn't even realise that it was like you said there that the penalty was late in 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 the game. I couldn't actually tell you that, but I just I don't I, I don't even know if Brian knows what I said to him, but I I generally can't can't remember. I, I you know, and it it wouldn't have been it it wouldn't have been much. But uh, as as I just said, really, you know, you, I I've always said, you know, you shouldn't do that to a, a fellow professional. But it, but it happened, and you can't change it. Uh, but it, but along the way, it's great to look back and think that, you know, the you know those sort of rivalries. They it, it, people just say, oh, was that the start? And you've just talked about David Rocastle starting it, or was it myself starting it? But I just think it was, and Brian mentioned it earlier how good or particularly later on sort of more uh late if you like 90s how good those two teams were and it was for me it was the only two teams that were going to win the league so those battles just intensify more and more even so after i'd gone uh you know it it it, it carried on with Arsene Wenger and Sir Alex and then you know with uh, Martin Keown so the history is there with different players um, but the two teams are the same because I think those two teams believe they were the best. Yeah. I mean, judging by your reaction that day in, in uh, at Highbury in 88, Brian, what Nigel said wasn't unlucky, old son. I, I, I don't actually know what he said. So I don't recall. I mean, I'd like, I'd like to recall. <laughs> so would I. Exactly what he said, but I don't know what he said. The only thing is the kind of thing for me is the, the horror of missing a penalty so badly yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and the circumstances and thinking of, well, Kind of what's he going to say when they get because what happened at what happened at half time in that game was that um he he tore into people uh a few people got hairdressers I think the the main culprit was was Gordon Strachan who got a real lashing at half time you know and we were told to get out in the second half and sort it out and um I know we got back into the game because I scored the the, the the goal that we scored and he got a chance to to take it to almost likely to take it to a replay uh, and then 
you're, you're disappointed in this the penalty. You don't really need someone else coming and telling you, reminding you about it a few seconds later. But I just remember Nigel's face, really, which was probably jubilant, but kind of jubilant and uh, gloating at the same kind of thing. And it was like, thanks, and leave it out. I don't really need this, you know, because I'm thinking I'm going to get my ass toasted when they get back in this dressing room. And at the time, I don't know how what, what Jaws was like as a manager, Nigel, but you're sort of thinking that having seen the different pieces of, of, of what uh, Fergie was like, it was like you considered quite often, and I used to consider quite often, I'm never going to play for this team again. That's me done, you know, because that's it. You know, that's, it could be finished, you know, it could be like that, go in that dressing room. It could easily turn around and say, you'll never play for this football club again. And it would be, even most of the time, that would be correct, you know. So I think there were some uh, United fans after you blazed that penalty over the bar that would have been quite happy if uh, you'd never played again. But well, yeah, obviously, I, mean, I don't mean that in hindsight, yeah. that, you know, in hindsight, that obviously, we don't, yeah. but in the heat of the moment, it was. Uh, it was a tough one to take. I yeah, it was tough, yeah, but it's, it just these things happen. I mean, so, sometimes you do things, you know, on the pitch later on that, that uh, you're not proud of. I've I played in a game at, uh, for Celtic against Tibbs, and, uh, and I was probably 19, 20, again, full of, full of um, an experience, I suppose, and naivety when it comes to certain things. And I remember that I, well, a senior player, a, a player who played for the very highest level of football, scoring an own goal. And, and I went over and rubbed his hit. He's sitting on the ground. He's one of those ones you slide, you slide in and he's sitting on the ground disconsolate because he's not the past his own goalkeeper. And then I went over and rubbed my hand on his hair. <laughs> right? And quite, and quite, um, you he, he sprang up faster than he'd probably sprang up for, for many years and chased me up the pitch. And, and, and then for several games after that, uh, which I suppose I suppose I was was fortuitous in that he, he became he came to the end of his career probably within a few games after that. But there was another couple of occasions where we were playing against each other, and then he was trying his best to leave his mark on me, you know. But it, I, I, I was either again lucky in the games or or or, or, or not because it was my colleague that he, he caught, you know, <laughs> more times. But it was, and I can I can it took me a little while to. I mean, it's when I was doing it at the time, I knew that I shouldn't be doing it, but I just kind of, I couldn't, couldn't stop myself, you know, so, and then it's just, I'm saying these things happen, but uh, it's nice to be, one of the things you were saying about the, the history and all the different things about it, the, uh, the when, when I use things to talk about my career now, Nigel, those, those two things I, I mention all the time, I say, well, that's what people remember, they don't remember. Um, well, not them saying I don't remember that certain things is in the, the two events was the, the hitting the penalty over the bar, which I'm uh, so pleased about with uh, Bruno's miss two weeks ago because that's got to be worse than mine. And it was at home, and it was at home, it was much worse. And, and you can see loads and loads of different views of it from both of people's <laughs> yeah. different video cameras and different yeah. things like that. So I was quite happy about that. Did, did you think that when you when you missed the penalty? Obviously, there are a lot of things going through your mind, but I doubt very much you thought that thirty years on, people would still no. be talking about it. No, and... well, you don't, do you? And then the same kind uh, of thing happened when the when the next one was. And, and this is another. I mean, you learn different things about the uh, the incident in the, at Old Trafford when we were all we were all involved, but we weren't all involved because 
spunky. Uh, David Seaman wasn't involved because he was in his goal and couldn't be asked. Just laughing. Laughing, <laughs> yeah, he's laying against the post, whatever, you know. But what I only found out recently, Nigel, though, was that Clayton Blackmore didn't get involved either. Oh, okay. So, so he's confessed. Yeah. He went, no, I wasn't involved. I said, why would you tell anybody that, that you weren't involved? Because nobody had noticed it because everybody said it was it was a 21-man parole. Yeah. But it wasn't now. He's confessed to being the only one that didn't get involved, involved. standing didn't get involved yeah let's talk about that moment because it is is 31 years ago so let's fast forward to october 20th 1990 and what subsequently became known as the the battle of old trafford the first battle of old trafford but Uh for most of us i think i think you said that that one before that you're saying 87 that was well that was more yeah that was a battle but um, all the way through the game this is probably just well it was just a one isolated yeah it was was the one event but it lasted. It was, and like you say, the of time, you know, so. like you say, the eighty-seven one, it just went on throughout the match. But this one, I mean, this game, a disputed first half, uh, and as Limpar goal was given by Keith Hackett, who yeah. was sure the ball across the line, mm-hmm. though, uh, it, even now I'm not sure it did. Uh, um, and then everything kicked off in the second half with you two in the middle of it. Look at this. This is disgraceful. It's a free for all, and. Will the referee be able to sort it all out? Alec Ferguson has had to come from the bench to try and intervene to restore some order. David Rocastle was sent off playing here back in 1987 in just such a similar skirmish. Winterburn is cautioned and McClare was lashing out and the ball was the last thing on his mind and Nigel Winterburn did well to get up from that. Let's treat this as your disciplinary hearing maybe and um, uh, let's have, have both well, sides I, of the story. I don't, I, don't, I don't know whether we were in the middle of it because my recollection was right. I think I I think I made the uh, attack on um, Dennis uh, yeah. and then I was so from what I can remember is actually as I made the tackle uh, and then obviously you could come in with your studs raised and my foot went straight across the top of the ball and I think hit him in the shin. So I was on the floor uh, and then I remember getting a good little uh, couple of kicks in the back uh, from somebody uh, and I was lying down and then everybody else was sort of um, piling in um, I always call it handbags, a bit of pushing, a bit of shoving, um, and then the FA become involved. But George Graham always used to say to us, you know, don't leave anybody on their own. Make it difficult for the referee to make a decision. So he said, like, if one player's in trouble, like, everybody gather around. And so, so, you know, it's like everybody. And I suppose with the, you know, the little bit of a history as well, before that with uh, United and, and Arsenal, just... That one thing just it only needed something very, very small to spark it off again. But I, I don't really know um, what happened after that. And I haven't, I haven't watched it again, but my recollection was of, of, the, of the tackle. And then two, I think it was, well, I certainly it could have been one player, it could have been two, but I, got, I definitely got two kicks in the back. Well, they were definitely uh, from Brian. If you look at right, the video, right. it was definitely <laughs> well, there, you, there, there you go. He's got, he got his own back. So um, the thing you know, is, just, yeah, you, you did. You get um, sometimes like then that that one in particular, and it didn't have to be very often because I'm pretty mild mannered and, and, and offensive, you know, both on and off the pitch. But um, 
I just got into the red zone and yeah. you made the tackle that I thought was was unfair and you were just lying there and I just completely utterly lost it and I, I kicked you not once but twice, you know, probably the there fastest time. Fastest <laughs> I've ever kicked anyway. <laughs> fastest I've ever moved my feet, right? Ever moved my feet. And and the, the thing that you said about what I credit both sides was that uh, Fergie used to say he should be happy he's playing today and I'm happy he's playing today because if, if anything happens, you'll be at your shoulder. And mm. quite quickly, straight, quite straight, straight after that, everybody piled in. Mm. Now, uh, Michael Thomas had me by had me by the throat. He's got his his my son strangling me, and uh, Tony Adams is over his shoulder trying to try to grab me. And other people are piling in, and then uh, I don't I don't know Anders Lumper. I don't know anything about him. But what he did was he came round behind me and punched me in the side of the head. I see, I did. I, 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 <laughs> all this while Nigel's lying on the floor still. No, yeah, I, yeah he's on the east down, lying down there somewhere. Like, I, I think I found it. I think the I, safest place to I'm be is just just stay on the, lying on the pitch. It's the know? safest place to be at that time. <laughs> <laughs> what I've done is I didn't want to get in any more trouble or be blamed for anything else. <laughs> And then I thought the best place to do was lie, play just, just like just play, yeah, just lie there. So, and but then, I didn't actually know that uh, Anders yeah, had done that, and it's yeah, not it really, yeah, he's quite mild mannered. Well, didn't you get know. a couple of stitches on the back well, of your head? From I was that, a, I'll tell you what happens with that. So, so Anders punches me and kind of sneaks away, but but Paul Ince, who you you work with at Blackburn, mm. spotted them. And then Sicha started to chase after him, but it was like in the playground, you know, when you're dropping your left shoulder and dropping your right shoulder, <laughs> trying not to get caught. And then she eventually caught him by the by the dugouts and by the solid fences around the pitches then. And he's got Anders on the on the ash track as it was then by the throat, ready to punch him, you know, but he didn't he didn't punch him. And then it kind of it kind of cooled down and uh that cooled down, didn't it? And then uh, Keith Acker who had just watched it um, let it run its course uh, and you got booked and uh, but I thought to myself I hadn't, I've never I've, I've never been sent off any level of football been booked a few times I've never sent off I thought this has got, this has got to be it now we've got to be a red card for that that's that's you know very very bad and uh, we're waiting for it and then he, I don't know if you've seen Anders punching me but you're thinking there's going to be a couple of red cards here. This is, you know, again, I'm going to get uh, slaughtered by the manager for being involved in something. And uh, Keith just stopped it, called you or booked you, and that was it. And I, I went to the side of the, the pitch because of blood running down the side of my face. I think he's sent me to say good, and I got two, st- <laughs> I got two stitches <laughs> in me, <laughs> you know, and that was it, you know. Well, that was it from that point of view then when I went home. Like I said, my uh, people were saying to me, what, what, what were you doing? What possessed you? Like, I don't know. I have a clue. And I went to... Well, just, just get your own back. I, mean, I, went, I went to uh, training the next day. And uh, I went to the training ground the next day on a Sunday. And I, I, mean, I don't know. I think we might have been in anywhere. I'm not sure. I, mean, I drove in anyway. And the manager was always in. And he was there with, with Archie Knox, who was also at Blackburn when you were there. And I just knocked the door, shit myself, basically, that, again, this could be my career for Manchester United, finished, right, because of of this uh, behaviour. Uh, and also the, the potential consequences, you know. Uh, so I, went, I just knocked the door, and he's, yeah, come in. And I opened the door, and I went in. And Archie Knox was pissing himself laughing. He's howling, <laughs> laughing, howling, laughing. He's, he manages to try to be serious, and he's 
crying, laughing. I was like, what the fuck possessed you? You know, I'm like, I don't know. I, I says, listen, you're going to have to find me. Ah, yeah, yeah, you're getting fined. That's the, that's the certainty. You're definitely getting fined. <laughs> but but we, certainly I, I could have been uh, called in front, up in front of the FA for, on a charge. Um, but but that never happened. Both both teams got got yeah, points, uh, yeah. penalty points. But you you lot because you were obviously a lot worse behaved than us because you'd been involved in another incident. Not you particularly, <laughs> but your, your teammates involved in another incident. Well, what I liked about both teams and I mean, all the way through is they were ready to be at your shoulder and mine were ready to be at my shoulder. And, and I'm not so sure. That's one of the things when I'm looking at football now. I'm not so sure that. There would be, um, so all those lads that were, were drinking beer, that's a different thing, you know, it's, it's a totally different thing. You're getting away with something. But on that pitch, they, they showed quite clearly that they, they were going to be there. No, uh, no. Exactly I mean, the same yeah. way Alex Ferguson's players. You know. Yeah, exactly the same. I mean, it, George always used to say, like, be together. But I think that, you know, people used to talk about the drinking culture at Arsenal. But I used to say, you know, I don't know whether it was any different when I played anywhere else at that period of time. It just seemed to be a thing that was accepted. But what that did is, you know, a lot of us used to go out to uh, uh, together quite regular. And I think that gave us a great camaraderie. So, like, when we went onto the pitch as well, if anything happened, along with those uh, lines from George, like, make sure you're all in there, is that really give us that strong bond to... Um, to, to come together. Now, people would, would say today, oh, you know, that's totally out of order. But you're talking about a completely different era when things, you could get away with things that you just simply couldn't do now. Um, but yeah, that that togetherness was, was uh, within the team was absolutely sensational. And you knew whoever it would be, if, if something happened, then you know, most, of the, most of the other guys were, were right there behind you trying to, trying to help you out. Do, do you think things like that galvanised you? I mean, because you both ended up winning trophies that season. I mean, despite being deducted two points, Arsenal went on and won the league. Um, and then United obviously won the Cup Winners' Cup in Rotterdam. And I just wonder whether that was a sort of pivotal moment in the season for both managers. I mean, it was what was George's reaction? To, to well, we, it? Had, I mean, we, we actually had a meeting, you know, and I think he felt quite aggrieved that we'd been uh, docked points. Uh, and he just said, look... Not only, you know, not everyone's going to be after you, the media. Uh, he just said, we just got to stick together uh, and, you know, continue to do exactly as you've just done before, you know, because I think he knew then that he had he had a team that was really bond, bonded together. So uh, he was just like, just batting the hatches down. Don't say anything to anybody. Uh, but if it happens again, it happens again because you know we're all in it. We're all in it together, um, and obviously he would he would spin a different line to to the media as he needed to be. But I think he I think he knew that uh, if there was another scenario happen within a game, then the same thing basically was going to would would happen again. It's a- Um, so speaking of pints, like you did earlier, uh, you t- you two played in an era where both teams would uh, play hard on the field and off the field as well. Um, the drinking culture was pretty hard at both Arsenal and United. Um, is all that stuff overplayed, or was it was it a case of uh, you know? I mean, it, I doubt very much you went for a 
did you go for a pint after the match in the players' lounge that day, or uh, did you keep yourself? You know what? I can't remember, but most of our players always used to go into um, the away team's uh, players' lounge uh, for drinks. I can't remember on obviously on that occasion, but um, yeah, I mean, we uh, you know we were every if you just talked about Arsenal and drinking, obviously it's slightly different to what people make out because if we had a midweek game, we weren't out. We wouldn't go out on a, most of our, uh, our nights out were always a Tuesday or because what George used to like to do is if we didn't have a game, we'd try train at Highbury. We'd do a lot of running up the terraces at the foot uh, to start with and then round the pitch. And then we'd go into the gym and do a, uh, a five or six aside competition. And then we were finished by 12 o'clock and most of the lads then would, would be ready. The taxis would be ordered and we'd all be off heading out into London. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of the guys were, were going, we'd all we'd usually go out for a meal to start with, a couple of drinks, and then everybody could disperse whenever they wanted to. But there was always a hardcore, let's say, that weren't getting in till five or six in the, the following morning. But most of the lads went and you had, you know, you drank what you want, you, you went where you wanted to go. Um, but yeah, there was there was that culture there. Um, it was a famously, was it famously a Tuesday club or Tuesday? Yeah, yeah well, tu- yeah, they used to where it got it got labelled the Tuesday club because it was it was every Tuesday because if we didn't have a game, we trained at Highbury on a Tuesday, and then we had the Wednesday off. So it used to, it used to they used to, obviously people started to name it the Tuesday club. Um, it could have been any time because it was from about twelve o'clock onwards. So um, you could name it whatever you want, but yeah. But as I said to you before, is I'm sure that. Other clubs were were no were no different at that period of time because uh, I I just feel it as if it was any, if it was different at other clubs then we would have probably put ourselves at a bit more of a disadvantage and I, I'm sure Brian will tell you that uh, there was some there was some some big big drinkers at, at United as well as as, as uh, a lot of other clubs. Yeah, you had something similar at United, didn't you, Brian? A midweek uh, get together. Well, we didn't. We. We would have um, a similar thing for a particular reason, you know, that we would be going out to um, try and solve a problem. But it would be the exact same scenario. We'd, we'd, we'd go in the morning and get um, a very, very physical session, um, both uh, outdoors and in, probably in the gym. And then it was, we were encouraged to go out to, for that reason to sit there because the first part of our, our um, set little thing would be where we were... Um, critical of each other and we were expected to be critical and supportive of each other at the same time mm. and within for the first hour or so we, we got out whatever shit we needed to get out about whatever problems we may have had uh, uh, and as soon as that was we got out there was no it was nothing personal it was just a matter of how can we improve as a team uh, and this is what we think and everybody with the opportunity to say what they wanted to say and after that period of time was over, that was it. It was put. It was put away, and uh, exactly the same sort of thing. You could sit and have a uh, have a laugh and a joke, uh, and the people who wanted to to uh, go home because they had uh, they wanted to go home and see their families, or people who wanted to stay out, or um, or indeed use it as an excuse to stay out, would would stay out, and we were off the next day, and then we were all at it. You know, they were all fully focused on. The, the training um, the, on the Wednesday team with regards to whatever game we're going to play at the weekend, uh, but we didn't we didn't do it every every week and we clearly we wouldn't be doing they couldn't do it every week either because 
part of the Manchester United International's success was he ended up playing a lot more games. You know, when they first came down, there was no European football. From that season on, there was European football and there was European football every season, almost every season since for, for both clubs. So those those events would have been become scarcer and scarcer. And, and it was all the drinking was all thing, but it wasn't like everybody had the same kind of rules and regulations, you know, so that um, as far as there wasn't any kind of thing written down in the, I think there was one, I think there was at United where it was said that you, you weren't allowed to go out 48 hours before the mm. game. But I think Fergie changed that so that he could, he could, uh, he could uh, discipline in whatever way he wanted to do. So if he felt like so he'd heard that somebody had been out on a Wednesday night, then he would he wanted the ability to decide that that was 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 um, contrary to what he thought was right for a professional footballer at his club, you know. Up before that, that it was actually written in, so it, you know, that and everybody abided by certainly by the forty eight hour thing. And nobody would be out. Well, certainly apart from the ones who have been noted to have ended up being had a problem with with drink. Um, was that we were all at the appropriate time you would go out and you would you would drink what you were capable of drinking really you know I'm just thinking that um obviously what Ferguson you enjoyed right. not capable of drinking sorry you drunk what you enjoyed to drink I think that was the main thing for most players you know go out and have a few drinks enjoy the beer if you like to have a beer but the main part of it was was it this, mm. it was the banter and the piss taking really and the joking and all that kind of thing that was the the main aspect of of, of that experience. I'm just thinking that both Ferguson and Benger arrived at the respective clubs at times when drinking was pretty hard. I mean, obviously, six when United were famed for their their drinking ability, and and obviously Wenger turned up in the mid 90s after Arsenal had had a bit of a reputation. You know, did they? How did they go about sort of changing that mentality? I mean, did they? Uh, was it ruling with an iron fist? Or was yeah, I think it the, to... I think the mentality is to do with being successful, isn't it? So if you're successful, and successful as individuals and mainly successful as a team, you're going to evaluate everything that that, that is involved in in within the, the how that team becomes a team. Maybe they thought maybe that people will be looking and say, well, actually, this Tuesday thing, if we can just get them to curb it a little bit, then you know that that what seems to come out of it is is a it's a strong a strong bond between them as a team and in the dressing room and, and most importantly on the pitch. I think when when and if you're performing, I think that's the only thing that matters. You know, Nigel played for Arsenal for over a decade. We played professional football for twenty years. Clearly, whatever he was doing every day and whatever he was doing at other times, he was able to perform at a level that people continued to want to choose him to be the number one choice in their team at left back. And I think that was a case we thought would be the case with all players. Any player that then, for whatever reason, wasn't performing to that level or yet wants to perform that level, whether it's down to lifestyle or whether it's down to mortality in the sense that they, they were just that little bit older, then the managers were very, very good at sort of working that out quickly or even very much in advance and be ready there for, for, for somebody to be to be either um, to be put in as a direct replacement or be gradually be put in. So I, and and Nigel made a very good point that if, if if there was, I think that that was just part of of certainly professional football at that particular time because you had the time to do it. 
and the freedom to do it. And it was a, a it was an escape from from that um, pressure of being a being um, a, a professional football player. Uh, and that would be it would be set, accepted up to a point as long as you perform. And when you stop performing, that's when things would change. Yeah, yeah. I mean, was it the same with with Wenger, Nigel? I mean, did he? he uh, edu- I think it was more education. Obviously, he knew about the culture, uh, but he asked Wenger was more about educa- uh, education. Really, he, he did shut the players' bar uh, straight after a game. It wasn't it wasn't open, but. He was very, very big, Arsene Wenger, on sort of dietary requirements. But his big thing was, um, like, after games, he wanted really, particularly away games, but he wanted players on the coach as quick as possible. He wanted, you know, he wanted you eating uh, uh, and drinking in terms of rehydration. So his, I think his tactic was more a case of uh, educating the players into a, a certainly slightly different um, lifestyle if, if if you want and uh, I think when for me when Arsene Wenger came in I've said on many many occasions his training sessions just the way that he spoke to you and, and sort of respected you as, as as a person you couldn't help but fall in line uh, and want to be and want to be part of what uh, Arsene Wenger was trying to trying to achieve at that period in time so I think overall, as, as I said, I think it was it was education more than uh, ruling with an iron fist because Arsene Wenger didn't like any confrontation, uh, part, probably apart from with Sir Alex. That was probably the only one that he's ever had. But he, he, he didn't. He did literally, if he left you out the team for a rest, he, he just named the team, but he wouldn't look at you. He's just as if you were just invisible. Uh, and he certainly wouldn't want you making eye contact to to go and say, "Well, why have you left me out?" Or you know, "What are you doing?" Or he may tell you the day the, the day before, "I'm going to give you a rest," and then I don't even want you at the game, and then I want to see you again on on, on Monday morning. But um, yeah, it was it, Arsene Wenger was was all as everyone's talks about was education in terms of you know uh, dietary requirements and just replenishings, particularly particularly after games. What would either of you think of being managed by the other one's bosses? Um, obviously, you both played under some of the most successful and charismatic managers there were throughout the 80s, 90s and 2000s. So, Nigel, I'll come to you first. Um, how do you think you would have thrived under Alex Ferguson? Uh, well, I'd like to think I did. And I've al- always said it's one manager I'd love to have played under. Uh, because in a way, I think he, you know, I don't know, but the stories you hear, it was a little bit like, George Graham, where he lost his temper if things were not going well. He'd pick on individual players, maybe for a response to see how you uh, uh, reacted. But as I've said to you all along, from you know mid or even late nineties through to what oh four, there were only two teams: Man United and Arsenal, and that rivalry intensified. So I think if you could switch it and just be part of each. In those dressing rooms, you get a you get a real insight. I know what Arsene Wenger was like. He was very calm and calculated uh, um, uh, most of the time. But I used to love his interviews when asked uh, when Sir Alex was there because that's when he seemed to lose his 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 cool. Um, but yeah, I'd have loved to have also on the flip side 
I'd love to have been in that dressing room when um, Sir Alex was was giving his team talks, you know, about us or vice versa when things weren't going so well as Brian talked about what he was like at halftime. You know, was it, you know, did he rule that little bit of fear of, you know, you might not play for me again, which is what it sounds like. But, but Arsene Wenger was completely the opposite. You know, even if we were playing poorly, he never, ever came in the dressing room and shouted uh, at the players at all. It was, it was, I've never seen anything like it. It was quite incredible. And, and Chucky, how, how would you fancy playing for either George Graham or Arsene Wenger? And I don't mean just actually playing. I mean, you know, some of the stuff you've admitted on here about, you know, playing the practical jokes and, and yeah, winding well, Fergie up. How do you think you would have got away with it with, uh, with the two Arsenal managers? Well, I don't think it was a problem for George Graham because George Graham actually loved me as a player. I know that he really liked me as a player. So that was a game. I mean, the time, one time I played for George Graham was in Bobby Mills' testimonial game at Topton Park and uh, he, he picked me as to be the captain of the of the team in the first half so I know that he, he liked me as a player and I think he'd have been fine because he's from he's, he's brought up only a couple of miles away from from when I was when I, when I was when he's just outside Coatbridge um, Arsene Wenger that'd be the one thing I think I'd love to have played for him because I think of, of I like the way that he played the game and I like the, the, the thinking behind him uh, and always, always listening to the. I'm always, I'm always happy to hear um, the. If you're, if you're talking about the education part of it, I'm always happy to be um, convinced that that was. And I think the Wenger uh, had the the knowledge and experience to be able to convince you this is the right way to be going and doing things. You know, not quite so sure about the ban and the chocolate thing, uh, but I'm sure that he would be able to convince you. Of, he, banned, uh, he banned everything, not only chocolate, <laughs> well, sugar and tea, and everything. He was just like, it's just. <laughs> that, was, that was the problem for me at the time. That's because I, I stopped taking sugar when my. And then my team when my first child was born because we started to, to eat the same things that they were eating. So I realised that too much sugar, too much salt and all that was, yeah. wasn't was very good. So actually I ended up with a reasonable athletics, athletic diet because I was thinking about the welfare of my children, not that I was trying, not because I was <laughs> trying to be a better professional football player. I, I'm, I don't sure that Arsene would let me away with, with the the, uh, the sense of humour bit and the, the mischievous bit of uh, I, could, I don't know. I don't. I mean, Nigel knows him better than me. I, I think that would be one of the things he would have found difficult to to comprehend. But I think that the, the, one of the benefits for all those managers involved, and in where I think Nigel and I had, had an advantage, is that we were always available. You know, we were very, very, very injured, and, and because we got away with it, very rarely suspended as well. You know, but. I think they're the things, the first thing that, that that managers. I think that's where what a lot of the analysis is done now is about um, how many times are these players, you know, we're looking to be spending uh, a lot of money, both at Arsenal and Manchester United. Uh, how long? How what, what they're going to get out of that? How often are they have they shown that they're going to be fit enough to be selected? Don't they then? Don't they then, all sorts of different other factors? I think also, oh. Brian, as well, it's, it's consistency, isn't it? A manager ah, wants, well, to, when he puts yeah. you in, he wants you to be consistent, knowing that probably each week you're going to be, what, seven out of 10 and, and better. I think that's, you know, and you're, like you say, you are there and, and available week, week in, week out. And the manager basically has got that trust in, in that player. That's how, that's how I felt under, under both managers. That they actually trusted me to do 
the job that I was asked to do. Aye, I, I would agree with that, yeah. So he'd, he'd be part of the, perhaps sometimes and part of Fergus team talks, he would be saying that, you know, exactly that. If you all play six out of ten, you win the game today at home. If you play seven out of ten, then you 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 might win by a couple. If, if a few are playing seven and you've got a few at eight and maybe one at nine, mm. you'll win the game comfortably. And if you're all playing at a certain level, you you'll win the game very very easily. Yeah. And that was that was and as you say that he got that and had that out of players for a long period of time. As you say, he knew what kind of performance you were going to get. It, it, uh, the advantage for me was the number of games that I was playing because I, I could play badly in loads of different positions, which I did, <laughs> which I did several times. I know you played a little bit at right back, Nigel, but I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I came on in the European game and in Turin against Juventus on the left wing because it felt falling out with Ryan Giggs at half time. Now he wasn't expecting me to put in a Ryan Giggs type performance. He was just expecting me to not be shit, you know, so that, <laughs> so that's against, that's, that's down to the trust part of it is exactly the same yeah. thing, you know, trust you. He couldn't trust me off the pitch when he came here <laughs> um, during training and all that, you know, but on the pitch, you know, he could trust me, you know. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the postman's got a hernia this week, Matthew, because we've had a record amount of questions for the mailbag. So can you sift through that lot and pick out a couple of the best ones, Oh, there's something, Nigel. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we have had a lot. And I have uh, I spent all week sifting through. I've just picked out a couple of the, the best ones because we could be here all, all night doing this. But, um, well, you never guess what. We've got one from uh, Cumbrian Dave. <laughs> and he says, um, well, I mean, obviously, it shouldn't be forgotten that Arsenal were crowned champions uh, in the May after the Battle of Old Trafford. And the day they played Manchester United uh, at Highbury and won 3-1, uh, had to give the United players had to give the Arsenal players a guard of honour. Um, and Cumbrian Day wants to know both of your thoughts about giving and receiving uh, guards of honour at the start of a match, and particularly, Brian, whether you attempted to uh, stick your foot out and trip over any particular I, member of the I Arsenal I saw this team. question on Twitter as well. No, because, <laughs> no, because I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what happened was when that particular game, it was in the... Uh, the 6th of May, 1991. And um, I decided that um, I would go and make peace with Nigel before the game. I don't know if you remember. But it's, it's for me, it's a terrible thing, particularly in, uh, it, it's, it's a tough thing to do, particularly in the, in the circumstances of of the, the, the rivalry. Uh, so, so tough thing to do there when everybody's in party mood. And... Uh, we are there as Bank Holding Monday, I think it was. We are there to, to do that kind of thing. They all come out with their, their champions t shirts and all that kind of thing. It was it was, it was tough. Uh, I think that's it's right that you do it because I think that's that should be respectful to the, the best team because the best team almost always wins wins the league. Uh, and I had decided that after the that that really that this nonsense between Nigel and I, if the kind of stop. So I went up and said to him before the game, look, I think we just pack this in now. We shook hands. And uh, mm. as far as I remember, we never had any more incidents after that. You know, you know, we, we played in several, several games after that. And then Arsenal played really well too as well. It's another thing, you know, that they played very well that night. But comfortable winners, you know. I remember that game because didn't you, didn't United play a lot of kids in that game because it was heading towards the Rotterdam final, wasn't it? So yeah, and actually, I, 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 I had another thing as well because uh, 
my wife was nine months pregnant, so I, I had said to her before, look, I don't need to go. And she says, no, no, you'll be fine, go to the game. So I went went to the game and that at halftime I got a message to say that she'd gone into labour, you know. So the second half of the game I was more concerned about getting back up the road, you know, but I didn't uh, I didn't get back up in time for um for the, the birth of Liam, you know. So that's one of the so the whole kind of thing is a a, a vivid memory for me because of all the things that happened within that day. But no and I'm glad it worked out that way because they said, you know, you should you should be given and it, it gives you that more for me it was like more drive thinking oh I'd really love to be in, on the other side where these poor bastards have got to be cheering us on the pitch you know so it gives them added an extra impetus and and of course being at Highbury is a wonderful place to be in particularly when, they, when they're all celebrating you know so yeah, no, I love the way games so. Is it something you had to do Nigel I'm trying to think whether Arsenal would have done that back then uh, I'm just trying to Trying to think whether we, we t- I can't re- actually remember having to a, a team winning uh, the league against us on a specific day. I can't remember that. If I, if I'm honest with you, I don't think yeah, it was. I, but I can't think. I of mean, it. it's yeah, it, it it was great for us because we'd already we'd already won the league because I think Liverpool drew with Nottingham Forest uh, early on, and our game was a later game. I think it was a five. I think it might have been a five thirty kickoff. Yeah, it was a bank. It was Easter Monday or, yeah. or bank holiday. So, yeah, so we'd all, we'd already won the league, and Brian was right. We came out with hats and scarves on and t-shirts, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it it's great, isn't it? Because as I said to you, that 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 rivalry is is uh, well, I mean, it wasn't really in full. Bloom then because I think you know with um, later on it it got more intensified if you like in terms of how good the two teams were but it, it I think it's just a sense of pride knowing that you are the champions when you get a guard a guard of honor like that it's and I, you know it's it it was you know, I, I could have fully understood if United had been stayed in the dressing room or been out on the pitch already but it, it just shows a little bit of quality for, for me although that that rivalry was was still there at the time. It's a strange tradition, isn't it? It's one of those ones that seems to have come about more in recent years, but I mean, it must have gone back through the decades, but it just seems to be an issue the, more these days. It's whether, you know, our team's going to give them, I mean, I don't was it last see, season? I Rangers and Celtic didn't do it? or well, just, Celtic and Rangers may be slightly uh, different, <laughs> but I, I just think uh, Premier League, I don't see why uh, teams wouldn't, you know, out of respect, give a, give a, give a guard of honour if, if it's something that I had to do. And now you're making me think, because I'm going to go back and get the books out later and, and have a look, see if I, I did do anything like But I think it was, I, I think out of respect then, I would be, I'd be quite happy to do that. Yeah, fair enough. Um, talking of winning titles, Lone Star trader asked Nigel, um, was your greatest night in football that Friday night at Anfield in 1989? And I get the feeling it was for him because he says, as a 13-year-old kid, I don't think I've ever cheered a non-United goal more in my life. I mean, that's got to be up there, hasn't it, in terms of your achievements? Yeah, yeah. That's what, well, it's, you know, it's my, you know, my first sort of winning trophy uh, at Arsenal and, you know, with the circumstances around it, the Hillsborough, uh, the league being postponed. I think it was postponed for a couple of weeks. We should have won the league maybe three weeks before that. We drew with Wimbledon at home. I think we lost to Derby. Yeah. Uh, and then I remember listening to uh, Liverpool West Ham in the week because we played on a Friday night, but I think Liverpool played on the Tuesday night as well because they were catching their games up. I think it, the final score was 5-1 against West Ham. Yeah. I remember switching that radio off with about 10 minutes to go, I think it was, 
thinking if they score again, you know, two goals, nobody really went to Anfield and won by two goals, but three would have been ridiculous. It was almost impossible. So, yeah, I mean, we took the flowers out before, the bouquet of flowers before, uh, and then George Graham's speech was just as if he'd already watched the game. It was almost as if it was pre-recorded. You know, at half-time, don't panic, score an early goal, second half. He thinks Liverpool will panic, uh, won't know what to do. They like to attack, they like to keep the ball moving forward. He thinks they'll get caught, and exactly what they did, you know. John Barnes should have took the ball right into the corner and booted it straight out of the stand, but... That's not Liverpool way. They want to score goals. Uh, we win the ball back and then Mickey Thomas scores, you know, right in the, the last few seconds. But in terms of how dramatic it was and everything that was uh, built up in that in that season, I think it, you know, it would it for me, yeah, is the it is the iconic uh, moment that I, I I remember. Each trophy, Brian will probably tell you, is is completely different and, and memorable. But that one for me was the first one. And under the circumstances, you know, it's something that I'll, I'll, you, you always remember and people will always talk about. I'm just thinking, Mark, I probably don't need to ask you, being a big Evertonian, how you felt that night, um, goes without saying. I just wonder, Brian, in terms of allegiances and what have you, I mean, I take it you remember watching that game that night. But I mean, as a United man then, uh, did you... Did you have a sense of joy watching that, or were you impartial, or you know, from no, a player's point of view? No, no, I was. No, you can never be impartial when it comes to to games like that. Um, no, I, 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 I jumped up when um, Arsenal scored both goals. So yeah, yeah it was. Like, I was happy for yeah. Liverpool had won enough by then, didn't they? Same somebody else. Same somebody else had a little sensitive, didn't they? Yeah, I had kind of, kind of had a fondness for Arsenal as well because I'd been on trial at Arsenal when I was like 14, 15 year old kids, you know. So I'd enjoyed being down there um, as a young person, you know. So it's it's always going to be the same way, and you, that and if it'd been the other way around, you would you would very much expect the Liverpool fans to be jumping up for Arsenal being had done such a thing in there. Uh, well, done that on that night if the opponents had been Manchester United, you know. So. No, yeah, you, you very rarely are impartial in any kind of event, you know. Mm. Yeah, and I think you've got to agree, it's the greatest end to a league season ever. No, well, for that, you can sense for drama mm. and the whole, the, the, everything about it comes down to the last game, comes down to that, and the events in the game, you know, because it was a cracking game of football as well. I mean, yeah. Was, apart from the goals, it was, it was yeah, purely because both teams went for it. Like like Nigel said, I, Liverpool didn't have to go for it, but they did. And that, yeah, that's what made it such a great yeah. game. Yeah, and, and yeah, to finish that way, and have seen them in so many um, incidents like you say, you're, you're just sitting there watching it. When I'm watching the game, I think I was within, I think I was on Scotland duty at the time, and I think Pat Nevin and I were watching the game together, and you're just watching, oh, well, that's the game done now. Barnsley's got the ball, and the, he just has to take it, like, like Nigel says, just wind the clock down. And it's done, particularly when the ball was so far away from the Liverpool goal. And it just shows you how that uh, it only takes a few seconds to score the goal, particularly, and you make even someone like a player of, of the stature of John Barnes can can make an error at that particular time in a game, and one end of the pitch there on such a swift moment. But I think you were almost you were up there as well, Nigel, weren't you? you were right up at. Well, we played we played wing back, so I was so on you, Mickey's uh, left hand side, about five yards outside him, pretty much level with him, and he'd actually had a chance a few minutes before, very very similar. He literally flicked it straight into Gobbler's hands, 
And then when he went through again, Mickey is so calm and uh, calculated. I think I knew that time that he was, you know, he was going to score, and I was not, literally off. Were you not because, screaming for it? No, were you not screaming? <laughs> no, I, and I think I was also thinking, don't deflect that ball this way <laughs> with an open goal with about ten seconds to go. I don't want to be known as someone who's, who's missed and given the Arsenal a chance to win the league. So I was pretty pleased when Mickey scored. Let me let me tell you, that's why I ran the opposite way away from everybody else. <laughs> I was like, oh, that was a relief. <laughs> Cool. Okay, gents, uh, let's bring down the curtain on this episode. Um, it was cool to get you both together after all these years to relive those battles between United and Arsenal. And even better that we're all parting on good terms this time. Um, Nigel, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Um, what are you up to these days? Uh, just really uh, media work. So um fair bit of work with Arsenal around, no, no coaching, but around Arsenal, on, particularly on match days. Uh, some analysis for them uh, as well, and then, but, but basically media stuff. But um, I think I've said all, all along now since COVID's come in that uh, you never know what's going to happen in life. So um, I, I'm not going to worry about whether too much work's coming in. <laughs> I'm going to go out and enjoy myself, uh, and uh, you know, and, and just take it from there really, and try and try and enjoy family life as it as it whittles away from you very very quickly. When you get a bit older, but but mainly mainly a media side, but a lot of it around Arsenal. Brilliant. Well, thanks again for coming on, uh, Brian and Matthew. The same to you, pair. Thanks very much. Always thank a pleasure, very much, sir. It's been wonderful. Thank you, Nigel. That was great. Cheers, uh, Brian. Thank you very much. Uh, enjoyed that. Some. Uh, it's great to look back on some uh, fond memories. Uh, I know some of the uh, United faithful will still hate me, but uh, you know, as I said, it's. Uh, those games were just sensational, and uh, you know, in a way, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything because I think it just added to that that bit of spice. But when you look back, it wasn't much really. When you look at it, it was a bit, it was a bit more handbaggy stuff, wasn't it? Rather than, but yeah, but it's still, it still gets brought up all the time. It still so gets brought up it, it all keeps the time. You, it's a great it talking you, point. Yeah, <laughs> it keeps you thinking. Oh well, maybe I did achieve something in my life, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know for sure there's two things that people think I did wrong. So, <laughs> thank you um, very much, guys. Anyway, thank you, Nigel. And finally, thanks to you guys for listening. Uh, we'll hopefully see you again soon. And in the meantime, don't forget to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Twitter at Brian McClare Pod. So, cheerio. Life with Brian, talking films or music. Life with Brian, talking TV and food. Life with Brian, talking trivia and exercise. Life with Brian, it's different every episode. Life with Brian, talking politics and football. Life with Brian, it's different every episode. Life with Brian, life with Brian. Podcast Network.